Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. Anthony Edwards. Look out! Edwards goes to coast up the steal. Get the flag. Get the flag. Oh. Get, on, the flag, Get the flag, Zolgad. The flag. Get the flag. The flag, here it is. Wait the, the flag is out. The flag is out. The sixth seed in the Western Conference. All eyes north. Raised by wolves. Raised by Great marketing. Run with the pack. You know what? This is so special. Let, I'm going to double whammy it. I'm not just going to, to do the flag. I'm also going to give you the original garbage can. Oh, yeah, baby. It's the original Timberwolves logo garbage can. Tony Campbell. Bang the can. Bang the can. Felton Spencer. Doug West. Sam Mitchell. That is... Yes, that is Timberwolves fever right there, boys. A flag and the original garbage can. I have a fever, and the only thing that can cure it is more Ode to Joy. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, John. Oh, there we go. God, it's good to be the sixth seed, boys. And actually, oh, boy. all these people talking about the sixth seed, Exhausted. what am I missing here? They're tied with the Clippers for the five seed. People keep tweeting oh out, like, they're the Wolves or the sixth seed. The Wolves and the Clippers are tied. Maybe there's a tiebreaker in here. I don't know. If it's point differential, it goes to the Wolves. Um, so the Wolves right now, they are one game behind the Mavericks for the fourth seed in the West. We're twenty. By the way, we're twenty five percent of the way through the schedule. <laughs> it's, it's, here, okay? it's for the Timberwolves, this is <laughs> this is big this baby is the dog days, man. Now, two years ago, they did start ten and eight, and then rolled off eleven consecutive losses. But I think Carl Anthony Towns got hurt or something. And uh, oh, a bunch of things went sideways that season. But you were in the arena last night. This is Mackie and Judd, daily Minnesota sports celebration. <laughs> Sometimes therapy, but today's <laughs> celebration. Um, you were in the arena last night sitting in the posh media row within oh, arm's so reach posh. of Finchie's huddles, basically. Finchie. Yeah. Me and so I want, I want you to empty the notebook here. And I know that you have uh-huh. handwritten notes, I'm sure, sitting that close to the Wolves bench. Oh, you get all the, all the box score printouts. What were your yep. firsthand observations from what, what, as Finch described it, they did not play well last night for the majority of that game, but they mm-hmm. still grinded out a win. And I think yeah. there's a lot of times in Wolves history the last 17 years where they look like that and then like get beat by 15 or blow a 15-point lead and they wind up hanging on. So uh, give us a couple of your front row observations. Well, one thing I absolutely loved is at halftime, Finchie was very upset by the lack of defense, but he he was without, and his team was without, uh, Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly. Yes, your two best defensive players, I think, in yeah. Beverly and Vanderbilt. Yeah, And three guys who bring who bring something. Like, like they can all be important. And so I love the fact that Finchie was upset. 
And I also love this fact too. So this, okay. So this is where the wolves, in my opinion, have a different heartbeat than they, they have had previously, or at least for a very long time. Okay. In the box score. Can you hear that? Yes. That's the heartbeat, man. That's my high class. Thank you. Thank you. Huey Lewis. Um, the heartbeat though, to me is this it's ant because so ant so ant had 21 last night and you know if you just look at the box score it's like okay he you know decent game right but i would but i would argue no i would argue that in the third quarter and and i don't know if if finchie said something at halftime i don't know if ant just said enough of this but Ant, I believe, had eight points at the half. Or, I'm sorry, he had 11. Or, yeah, eight points at, at the half. In the third quarter, he scored 11. And as I tweeted, almost every one of those points could have gotten on a highlight show. Um, he brought energy. He brought, he, he had a couple dunks. He had a steals. He played defense. He provided not only the results in the box score, but also probably just as importantly, he provided a tempo changing quarter himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I absolutely loved was you can see his teammates sort of gravitate towards that. Oh, it's go time now, right? Yeah, like, think go about it's go, like, time. go time. Think about how many times this Timberwolves team had a chance and. And in a quarter, it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's not going to work for us tonight. It's not going to work. So the fact that Ant brought the energy that he did and the play that that he did in the third quarter to sort of take the tide from being might not be the Wolves' night to, oh, no, we can win this game, is such a drastic change in my opinion. And that's something that, God bless him, aside from like a couple of times a, a year, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't really have like Carl can score your points and Carl can do a lot of good things, but I don't think that Carl had a lot of tempo changing games where, where it's just like in one quarter, everything sort of gravitates towards his team. So this to me was incredibly huge because it showed a spark from a player that the Timberwolves, both as far as probably talent goes, but just as importantly from, from an emotional standpoint that this team has lacked built. What you're talking about is really hard to quantify because it's a feeling, right? It's like it's it's a feeling that you get in a home arena, and I mean, look at like the Warriors are one of the greatest teams we've seen in our lifetimes, and the, you could probably point to the Showtime Lakers that had this quality too back in the '80s. But when the, when the Warriors in their heyday, which by the way they might be back in their heyday based on the start to the season, and they get Clay freaking Thompson back at some point. When when the Warriors are down by four points or five points, and then all of a sudden, like they flip a switch and they just start pouring in three pointers at home, and it's the heat check three from Steph Curry that goes in to make a four point deficit over the course of three minutes a nine point lead, and it's like a tsunami of energy and emotion from the fans, and you know the NBA there's a lot of momentum swings and teams blow leads, but like if you can get that sort of tsunami of energy going in your favor at home and and you don't do it by just making shots, like there's a, there's a personality to it. And it sounds so dumb because it's like, you can't quantify it. You can't go to basketball reference, but what Ant did at the end of the third quarter last night and the wolves were down, like they were down by like 10 points or whatever at halftime. And they're kind of chipping their way back throughout the third quarter. And Ant grabs a rebound, starts a fast break dishes over to Torian Prince, who throws a lob, and Ant grabs it with one hand, puts it down, boom, now crowd on their feet. Okay, wow, Anthony Edwards just posterized somebody else, and uh, like a minute later, he gets a steal, comes down, knocks down a 27-foot three from the top of the key to give the Wolves the lead for the first time in the third quarter, and it was like, those weren't that, that wasn't just a dunk and a three in the box score. It was... It was everyone off their keisters, alley-oop, posterization, mm-hmm. steal, momentum building, mm-hmm. a three to put the Wolves in front, and it was like no turning back at that point. And so I don't know. I don't know. There's not like a stat to describe it, but it's like that tsunami of energy that he brings to the home arena that not many players can. Like KG used to bring it. 
Yes. Ricky Rubio brought it like in doses when he would make a highlight reel when they had a couple years where he was throwing lobs to everybody and whatnot. Yeah. But like they haven't had a lot of that. It's been 17 years since we've really had that on a regular basis in that arena. Yeah, I, I think um, the last guy who officially brought the intangible that Ant brings is K- KG, right? Because and and what's weird is and this was so much fun to, to watch, but. You know, KG's first game back here, he brought that. He's just got, I mean, certain people, and and this is not like uh, I'm going to be that guy, so watch me. Certain people just have that, and Ant has that. He's got that. I mean, he's he's a great, he's a, he's not a great player yet. He is a tremendous player to watch. He brings a lot, but he also brings an attitude and a defiance, but it's almost likable. That's like, okay, yeah. And, And you hit it perfectly in saying, what he did in the third quarter last night brought the arena. So, like, it wasn't just the guys on the bench or something. It was it was all of the people there. And I and I think the important thing, too, is that gets people to want to come back, fans-wise. Yeah, it, it the, gets, the way that you felt, you're like... Exactly. That's it was, like, it oh, was a Monday sports. night game this against... Is... Yeah, it was yeah. a Monday night game against the Pacers, but it, but it was like, no, the way that you felt in that arena was probably, right. holy crap. This, yeah, this and this is and this is the first time in a long time I think the Wolves have had a player that you really uh, gravitate towards and want to see. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Cat, and, and this is going to sound weird because Cat is a tremendous player, but I feel like Cat is a okay. He's fun. I'll watch more games on TV, right? And you go and you're like, oh my god, this is great. This is fantastic, and and he makes those plays that a lot of guys can't make. So yeah, I I would caution against just looking at the box score and being like, oh, Ant was good. Yeah, no, Ant, Ant provided a, an emotional turn to me that took that game from probable loss to not tonight. Yeah. And and again, you don't play a perfect game, and that's the thing about sports. You've got to have people where you don't have to play a perfect game, and it doesn't matter. Yes. That's right. Like Like this whole thing about they played a perfect game or they were great tonight. That's fantastic. But how often do, does that truly transpire? You know, we blew them out or we there's going the majority of games in any season are going to be flawed. The question is, can you overcome the flaws and do you have the personnel? And it felt like last night the Wolves did. And what, Phil, the last 15 years, they often have not. Well, there, I, I also feel the same way whenever the Wolves have like a 15 point lead in the fourth quarter. I feel the same way as I do when a Vikings kicker lines up for a key field goal. Just like, oh, God, yeah. okay, how is this going to – what's going to happen here? What's, is it going to get blocked? Like when the Wolves have a 15-point lead or a 20-point lead or even whatever, it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? Are they gonna, who's going to foul out? You know, Who's going to dribble a ball off their knee out of bounds and give possession back? Yeah, that's and, and there definitely was a stretch as recently as three weeks ago where they were doing those things. They were And, and they might blow – they play a bunch of playoff teams now over the next, like, three weeks, so – their schedule does not get easy. So they, they're they going to lose games, and they might blow some leads, but th- they've done so much in the last two or three weeks to to show you something that we haven't seen in years, which is fight. And when you're down, when when the refs are making bad calls or you're not getting calls or whatever, you're on the road in Philadelphia, yes. and everyone's fouling out, and Embiid is hitting everything. Like that's a game that they lose a hundred times out of a hundred. It feels like, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe the Jimmy Butler season, which was always just kind of a short-term mercenary situation. But like that win against Philadelphia felt different because they're in double overtime and everyone's falling out, and and Bede is scoring forty points and hitting every shot at will, and you can't defend him. And it's like, and you won the game, <laughs> and and you know credit to D'Lo for just being incredibly clutch in that game. You know, the last 17 years, the only season that was really relevant from a playoff perspective was, you know, the Jimmy Butler season. But like I said, that always felt like a mercenary just coming here. It it always felt combustible. It never felt like he was going to be a lifelong Timberwolf. He was just going to play to the end of his contract or just force a trade like he did. Right. This feels real because it's, it's two first overall picks that you drafted. Yep. And it's a trade that you sought for a young player in D'Angelo Russell. And then it's a bunch of complimentary pieces that make sense that you found either through the draft or via trades. It just it feels homegrown and it feels sustainable. 
Do we think that behind the scenes, Finchie is pulling D'Lo aside each time that that a team goes at him uh, on defense or showing him clips or somebody's doing a marvelous job of telling D'Lo, everybody thinks you suck on defense. Like he keeps bringing it up and, and, and he's right. But I mean, it's clear because he strikes me. He one, I think he's a smart guy, but two, he strikes me as the type of guy who probably doesn't like uh, um, sweat stuff a lot. Like, I don't think he goes and seeks out, you know, Google his name and defense. It feels like somebody has decided very smart move to be like, Hey, look at this column. This column says you can't play defense. Cause like the last two weeks or three weeks, he's been on a tear of you think I can't. And it's perfect. It's working out perfectly. Well, this is also from a, from there's a lot of different metrics that can help you quantify this, but by many different measurements, this is the best D'Angelo Russell has played defensively in his career. Yeah. And, and he was asked, and you can see like there's a, there's a certain culture that has taken hold here. And I think Chris Finch, is part of it. I think Patrick Beverly, even if he's not playing like Patrick Beverly is literally sitting in street clothes, not sitting, standing he was on in the, street clothes. Yeah. Sometimes on the court calling out defensive. He was doing that last night. And right. He was jumping off the bench and like get, getting in Finchie's way at times last yes. night to do, which by the way, I absolutely applaud for some reason. There's, there are some teams and the wolves have been a team like this that just, it's almost like they think defense isn't cool or that like, mm-hmm. well, if we try on defense, I, I think it goes even deeper from like an ego perspective or like, well, if you try on defense and get beat, then it's like a blow to our egos. And so like, we just, you know, we'll just come back and score on offense. It's, it's, it's a, it's a buy-in thing. And the wolves have enough guys. Now Jared Vanderbilt is loves playing defense and he's not a great offensive player. So like, how, how is he going to stick in the NBA by just being an amazing rebounder and chop locker and, um, and just on ball defender. Mm-hmm. I think with Beverly Vanderbilt and even the energy that Jaden McDaniels, who's not been that great this season, but like the energy that he brings, there's clearly a coolness when it comes to defense. Now, <laughs> like they, they pride themselves on holding a team under 105 points, you know? Um, and there's been a lot of years where it just kind of felt like cat was going through the motions and D was going through the motions Anthony Edwards is a Anthony Edwards is the one that blocked Joel Embiid's potential game-winning shot at the end of that double overtime against the Sixers. Yeah, and it kind of went unnoticed because D'Angelo Russell was the one hitting all the clutch shots, and there were so many other things in that game. But it's like Anthony Edwards rejected Joel Embiid to win that game, and it was a great microcosm for just the way that this team has embraced defense so far. That might be Pat Bev. You you might be right. Yeah. If so, again, Gerson. NBA executive of the year. Let's find him. What a performance. Let's find him yes. wherever he is. Let's oh, get God. him that trophy. Uh, but yeah, you you might be right because somebody's definitely challenging them. And and I think it's brilliant because that that's where guys are, are like, oh, I'll show you now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like there's definitely a challenge. So yeah. And and on the butler thing, I think we now can really quantify. Um and I couldn't I loved how he played when when he cared, but I think it was hard. P- people didn't get why why we were so down on on him, and you know the BS stunts he pulled. But watch these guys now. Watch what Pat Bev does, and I'm not saying he's a- as good. He certainly is not. But also watch how Ant plays because Ant plays with with the passion of Butler. But watch how Ant does it in a productive way. And the kid's 20 years old, but his passion is so productive. And if Cat's going great guns, that's awesome. Cat, come along. And if Cat's not, it's like, okay, that's cool too. Um, you know, Butler's thing about absolutely crapping on teammates, I, I think is now it now becomes more clear why it was such BS in watching Ant play. Because Ant brings that same those same intangibles and the same passion, uh, but he does it in such a productive way. And this is where where the, the thing with Butler to me was just quitting. Because in Butler's mind, it's like, well, if you guys aren't going to change, screw it. Ant works his butt off. And Beverly, who is that seasoned veteran type of guy, is like, oh, no, you're go- you're going to pay attention to what I'm saying here. I'm not going to pout and piss and moan. 
Yeah, I think on on the Butler front, obviously his style of leadership is working in Miami because they went to the NBA Finals a couple of seasons ago. You know, once again they're among the top like six teams in the NBA this year, and it's it's working with that sort of Spolstra, Pat Riley culture, and they've had this tough, grind it culture in a glamorous city. For 20, 30 years, the Heat have been this grinded team. They play defense, Dwayne Wade, right? Um, I think the my biggest beef with Butler is I'm actually fine with his style of leadership, and I love the way that he plays. He's a really good player, but he didn't want to make it work and fit with Towns. And some right. of that's on Towns for just, like, either not being mentally and emotionally mature enough or hard enough, quote-unquote, to mesh too, but when you had hard ass Tom Thibodeau and hard ass Jimmy Butler, but you had star player of the future in Carl Anthony Towns, you wanted it to work really badly. But Jimmy Butler and and even Tom Thibodeau were both like, "Ah, this guy's a sissy." Like they right. literally just thought he was. And right. there was some truth to that, and there remains some truth to that. Like every time Carl Anthony Towns falls to the ground and then sits there while there's a fast break going the other way and throws his hands up, it's like that's the stuff that pissed off Jimmy Butler too. Dude, what are you doing? Be mentally tough. Get up. Don't complain right. all the time. And and I have issue with those things too. But my beef with Butler is he just had no desire to want to make it work. His answer was just, I don't want to be here. I'm out of here. And he can that's fine. That's his prerogative. And then the same thing happened in Philadelphia. He wanted out of there. He didn't want to resign with them too because well, I think it's mostly because of Ben Simmons. Um but Anthony Edwards, the way that he goes about leading if you will is just this sort of joyous bring everyone together style but he can also go into bleep you cyborg mode at any time too correct it's and it's going to be really fun to see how that evolves over the next five years of his career because he's only going to get better and more mature and like i i saw him last night and i could just envision him like in six years with like a different look like a shaved head or something but like as a fully grown version of himself and I could see him winning an MVP at some point. I like the, his size, his style, just the way that he can command a game. All of it, I I love it so much. It's I'll so just fun take to the watch. fact he's fun. I'll take the fact he's fun, and he gets it. And and I love the the fact that we finally are starting to have a collection of players who aren't trying to to be be like, well, if it's not what I think it should be, then I'm gone, or I'm gonna I'm gonna get mad. Instead, it's like, a, how do we make this work? And that is such a difference here because there's good players here. The, the question is, are they willing to make it work? Because, you know, Cat's not changing. I, Cat's not going to change. Cat is Cat. He's, gonna, he's going to uh, complain about being fouled. He's going to complain about being called. He's going to fall down. He's going to flop. He's also go, going to make some tremendous plays. And the question is, can you use the good of cat to your advantage to win. And it finally feels like there is a possibility here that the answer to that question is yes, instead of, well, screw it. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Their best lineup by far still remains. And they, they can't put this lineup out because these guys are hurt, but oh, you want the, you want the music? Yeah. Okay. I'm waving the flag. I'm waving the flag. The flag is back. Flag is back. That's right. Clippers, you're next. Yep. You're Mavericks. Next. Hey, next. Jazz, the music is about to stop. Just another one. The, the sun will go down. I'm not going to rip the Warriors because they're probably going to win the yeah, title. They're probably going to win. Yeah. Another notch on the flag. The, the, Wolves, the Wolves' best five-man lineup so far this year is Towns, D'Lo, Edwards, Pat Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt. That is the lineup of death, as we oh. coined it, along with our Wolves beat writer friends last week. And so those guys, uh, Vanderbilt and Beverly, didn't play last night. But when those five guys are on the court together, per 100 possessions, it's a net plus 45 points per 100 possessions for the Timberwolves. That's ridiculous. It's a net L for opponents. <laughs> I, I, I don't need your stats. I don't need your stats. It's a net, it's a net L. <laughs> There we go. All right, yeah. So Timberwolves just dominating right now. One game over 500. Um, All right, boys, this is Mackie and Judd, Daily Minnesota Sports Entertainment. And every single Tuesday on the show, we go through our list of who gets it and who doesn't. 
Let's start with Judd Zolgad here. We'll get to random season recall. Who across the landscape of America, Minnesota, America, wherever you want to start, who gets it, who doesn't? Mm, Boy, I've got a few of them, but I'm going to start with uh, who gets it. So the news broke on Sunday that uh, Tanner Morgan would be returning for a sixth year as the Gophers quarterback in 2022, which set Twitter aflame with Gopher football enthusiasts who really were not pleased about this development and said, can he come back as a coach? I mean, he's a great person. They they pulled a me. He's a great guy, but um, but then who gets it? Yesterday we find out, and I think this is a big move, Mike Sanford Jr., after two seasons as the Gophers' co-offensive coordinator and probably most importantly chief play caller, is out. He will not be returning. Uh, I don't, don't know if they're going to turn over the play calling to, um, to the guy who is – Sanford's co-coordinator um, or if they are going to go outside Kirk Soraka, 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 right? The, the guy who, <laughs> what do you think it is? State. I just, yeah. just want to hear you try to pronounce it a few more times. I think it's Kirk Soraka. I think that's probably right. I think give, me, give us a couple other. I don't think it's a hard. Well, it could be a harder. C, but I don't think cause it's, it's, it's C I C I A R R O C C O. So I don't think that there's a hard C there. So I think it's Soraka. Oh. Uh, but he he went to Penn State in 2019. Was immediately fired, and then was um, and then was an offensive analyst of some sort, which I'm sure is not a great job in college football last year. He and Fleck were together, I think, for seven years before he left. I don't know if they if they parted on good terms, but he is obviously the guy who was the Gophers coordinator in 2019 when they had a very good year, and most importantly, Tanner Morgan did as well. Now he, he did have. Tyler Johnson, and he did have Rashad Bateman, which helped quite a bit. But the point being is, if Tanner Morgan has any chance to rebound and come back and and be a semblance of the guy that he was and not the guy that we saw in 2021, Mike Sanford Jr. and his reliance on the run. The Gophers, the only teams that ran more than the Gophers were the service academies, Okay. This is the only chance good for the golfers for making a change at play caller. I'm going to quickly piggyback off that by saying who doesn't get it? PJ Fleck Mm. for hiring Mike Sanford Jr. in the first place and keeping him around for two seasons. Ah, okay. So Mike Sanford Jr., this is his resume before the golfers brought him in for two years. Yep. He was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame for the only, like, train wreck stretch of Brian Kelly's career there. They went 4-8 and eight <laughs> in 2016 with Mike Sanford Jr., and their offense was just in shambles. Yep. Uh, they went 4-8 and eight in 2016 with Mike Sanford Jr. as the offensive coordinator. He leaves, they bounce right back, and they become contenders again. Okay, so then he goes and takes the head coaching job at Western Kentucky. I mean, if mm. you have... Any chance to be like a head coach for your career? Western Kentucky seems like a really good spot to win a few games and you know have a, a great first stepping stone. So they went like 500 in the first year, and then the second year they train wrecked to three and nine, mm-hmm. and then the th- okay, all right, so he gets let go from there because it was a disaster, and then he becomes the offensive coordinator at Utah State. So he's now gone from offensive coordinator at Notre freaking Dame, and three years later he's now like okay, now he's at Utah State, so couple steps down there sure uh, but he's but he gets to coach Jordan Love who's one of the top young quarterbacks in the country at that point coming off a great season and Jordan Love has the worst year of his college career literally everything this dude has touched offensively yeah. and as a leader train wrecked in the in the years leading up to his stint as go for offensive coordinator and so uh the Tanner Morgan drop off I think part of it's he's just not that great of a quarterback he's not like super mobile you know he had two NFL receivers in 2019 it helps but he's not as bad as he has been playing, I think, the last couple of years. Get him a real coach, yeah. a real coordinator with a real system that isn't just handing off 70% of snaps. And I also heard th- that um, the relationship between Sanford and M- Morgan was not the same as it, it had been as far as the amount of correspondence, in-game discussions, things like that. Dude, you're fired. Yeah, just, and yeah, just go. Yeah. Um, and but why are yeah. you here in the first place? Well, and that's why I'd like to see the Gophers turn 
towards some somebody that Fleck knows. Like, don't just go out and, oh, this guy looks good, right? Like, get somebody that Fleck knows. There, There's no reason the Gophers offense, and I'm not just uh, – talking about the quarterback position there's no reason that offense looked as bad as it did at times like that's ridiculous real real quick here just a bonus one just a shout out uh who gets it who doesn't who gets it pj flex agent yeah probably started sensing about a month ago oh interesting okay usc over here it sounds like lsu is gonna be open okay florida you think he got you oh, think he scared man, the golfers crazy probably went to the, the golfers, golfers and said like, okay cool listen my guy uh is fully immersed and all in on coaching this season i don't want to have to take a few phone calls from the sec and from the pac-12 <laughs> yes. why don't we put it to bed before it becomes a thing here let's tack a couple extra years out of that contract give my guy a little boost in the salary. What do you say? If what you, do you say, Mark? If I was Mark Coyle and PJ Flex agent called me and said, the SEC, Judd, they might be they might be lurking, I would hang up the phone. I'd be like, okay, cool. Well, he could get one of the – I don't think he could get the Florida job or – I mean, LSU was obviously going for – And USC pretty big much game dismissed hunting, him but. immediately, and that's his former boss. He needs like one – he needed – honestly, if they wouldn't have lost to Bowling Green, like let's say they beat Bowling Green in Illinois – and yeah. they're sitting ten and two for the second time in three years. It, it's very possible that him losing to Bowling Green and to Illinois cost him, if he wanted to, cost him a chance to go on and like take a step to a bigger school. But we get him seven more years. See what happens. Yeah. Roll the boat. I'm still rowing the boat. Roll the I damn never boat. Never stopped. Never stopped rowing the boat. Nope. I just started. I'm not stopping. <laughs> I just started. You love the Gophers so much that yeah. you pieced out before the game to go yeah. watch modern. You haven't Later. watched college football Later. since like 1998. Later. Uh, um, who gets it? Who doesn't? I'll say who doesn't get it, and we're gonna I'm gonna rehash a conversation from yesterday on statements. But my who doesn't get it is Kirk Cousins and finding the right butt. Now, as a man who loves, you can't fo- let it go. You can. You, nope. The defense gives up 30 points, and nope, you just have I can't. To he's not the reason they the lost, time. and he's not the reason they won. Okay. Uh, but as a man who loves football and specific butts, I would never line up behind the wrong butt, but Kirk Cousins obviously did that uh, on Sunday. This excerpt from Roger Sherman of the Ringer.com from his winners and losers piece uh, in Week 12. As you can guess, Kirk Cousins fell under the losers tab. The things a quarterback says about a center's butt reveal the deeply personal nature of their relationship. And no current NFL quarterback shares more of these moments with their center than Kirk Cousins. In the modern NFL, most snaps are taken from the shotgun, but the Vikings prefer to do things the old-fashioned way by having Cousins shove his hands under his center's butt and take the ball. In 2019, the Vikings took 70% of their snaps from under center while league average was just 37%. In 2020, they took 64%, and now they're down to 56% this year, but that still leads the league. So the Vikings are still choosing to go under center more than any other team. I think Kirk does like that. And as do, Rogers, do know, does, does does Mason Cole have the sweating problem that Gary Bradbury has? He problem. doesn't. That's the issue. He didn't know he didn't have the sweaty butt. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as Roger says, Cousin has expressed a deep familiar uh, familiarity, excuse me, with his center's butts because uh, he went in that long rant about Garrett Bradbury having butt sweat. Um, so the most famous quarterback, as uh, as Roger points out, who did not line up under the right center was Willie Beeman, our guy that we reviewed on any given Sunday. If you guys remember, he lined up behind the center or on the guard and not behind the center. And the ball goes behind him. The problem is, is Kirk Cousins is not Willie Beeman. Willie Beeman has athletic ability that can make up for plays like that. Uh, but Kirk Cousins lining up behind the wrong butt is shocking to me when you consider he is lining up behind a butt more than any other quarterback the in the NFL. I love the data. The data behind this, who gets it, who doesn't, is great. Um, I also, you know, listen, I haven't spent a whole lot of time, you know, with two hands under another man's derriere. But I just feel like Ole Udo has a much larger butt than most offensive linemen, mm. right? Like, wouldn't you kind of know the, the, the surface Ooh. area in general would be just alarmingly larger? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe... Maybe I have to go back and look at the film and see, mm-hmm. but kind of surprised he didn't notice within you know like what? a couple seconds. The sad thing is, if Kirk had come back and thrown a dart to J- Jefferson for a touchdown, this would be like a great laugh-along thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kirk well, lined up on, and then he threw a touchdown. Unfortunately, it becomes a complete punchline because he didn't. Well, the Cousins Crusaders would come back at you and say, 
you guys are making uh, first of all the he was the only one that knew what, what the play was and so he's trying to fix everyone's problems just like he always does you know the defense is garbage the wide receivers don't know where they're lining up Mike Zimmer's a clown like he's the only one holding this whole thing together and you guys just rip him the sad thing is though we we could all laugh all of us the crusaders and the nine and the nine Kirk stands could all laugh as one if if he if he hits Jet Jefferson twice, if he hits him on the two point conversion and on that fourth down play, the Vikings leave with the win, and Kirk lining up wrong becomes a great story in which we can say, remember that big Vikings win yeah. in San Francisco. Instead, instead, it is now number two on Vikings moments in San Fran to Jim Marshall running oh, the wrong way right, at Kizar Stadium. That's that's, right. that's number one still. Now Kirk lining up under the guard to take a snap is number two, the greatest boners in Vikings history in San Francisco. <laughs> There's a word. Oh, the bo- oh, Merkel's Merkel's boner, man. That's a great term. It means a mistake. Why but are you saying that word? But we're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> Why? Look. Google, Google the word. Yeah, no, Google I know, the word. I know. No, I'm not going to word computer. Topic that was just discussed, and you used yep. that word. Hey, it's fair game. That word's a very fair word to use. For hey. In in the words of Peter Griffin, that that word is a very fair word. <laughs> okay, to use. real quick, uh, another group of people, a sub a subgroup here, uh, underneath this. The people that have said, well, Tom Brady forgot how many downs there were in a game one time. Mm-hmm. You, why don't you guys rip Tom Brady? Well, Tom Brady has seven, is it? Super Bowl championships? And actually, we did. Ten and we did rip him. It was funny. And, and we chided him for mm-hmm. that. Right. But you get more leeway to make mistakes when you have a mantle full of Lombardi trophies. Sure. Yeah. If you've never been within three weeks of a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you've never been to the conference championship game, and you make boneheaded mistakes, you butt fumble Mark Sanchez, or yeah. you line up in a key moment behind a right guard, all right? Like, you don't have the backing of seven Lombardi trophies to, I guess, uh, cushion the, no pun intended. Cushion See, there you the, go. The cushion. Fall. Yeah, I like it. All right. Back to Judd. Okay, for the first time ever on this segment, I'm going to unveil uh, who gets it and who doesn't simultaneously. Nice. Because it works out these. perfectly. Who gets it? Major League Baseball. They have figured out the magical way to set off the free agent frenzy that the Mackie and Judd show has been clamoring for really since the day that we began doing the show together. They get it. It's been great. The last the last two or three days have been glorious. We've got all these signings, and yes, some of them are irresponsible, but we don't care about that. Love it. It, it's a non-salary cap league. But who doesn't get it? Major League Baseball. They've triggered this the free agent frenzy because we are on the eve of what could be a very extended lockout. So basically what they, they have found the way to cause chaos, which is a glorious, um, a glorious thing when it comes to free agents, off season signings, but that chaos is being caused by the fact that we are approaching Wednesday, the expiration of the CBA. So at the same time that they get it, they don't because how baseball, how Rob Manfred-esque is it to have this triggered by the fact that we are now staring a work stoppage in the face, causing action that we've been clamoring for for years. So the question is, how do you create this action in a way that you can have it every year, right? Like, you know what you do? Well, a, a one-year CBA agreements would that that would be great but i think what you i think if we're not going to have a cap because a a cap clearly spurs this in most leagues i think what you have to do is and you got to fight this one but you got to set parameters on dates for signings and or parameters on contract lengths because right now there's no struck like you said when there's a salary cap and a salary floor like there are in the other sports it's like okay well we know how much money we have to spend, so let's let's go. And it all happens within like two weeks, and then the NBA has this amazingly fun two week period. The NFL, there's a frenzy, and then there's a second wave in baseball. It takes five months for Bryce Harper to sign because there are no parameters. Bryce Harper's agent says my client wants four hundred million dollars over fifteen years, and the opposing teams are like, no. 
Um, how about eight years and two hundred million, and then they just stare at each other for four months because there's no parameters. At least in the NHL, there's like, all right, you can only sign seven year contracts or whatever the length is mm-hmm. now, right? Like if baseball even had that, if you all right, there's no salary cap, but the max length of contract you can sign is seven years or six years. I don't think it fixes the problem, but it provides a starting point for teams to actually negotiate. Okay, so we all agree it's a seven-year deal. Okay, is it $40 million a year or is it $30 million a year? And you come to a deal much more quickly. But, I mean, th- this has been great. Like, this is what we want. It's this It's this complete frenzy of sign, 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 guys. Um, Except yeah. for the Twins. twins I would put, well, you know, yeah, but they got a Buxton deal done. I mean, I'll, I will give them some credit there. Bob yeah, Nightingale on the team. tweeting out just like literally a minute ago too. Oh no, the MLB and union meeting is over after just thirty minutes. Not a good sign. <laughs> oh, there, there. Th- oh, this is going to take forever. Uh, the the one the one thing that we need to <laughs> see though is is when this is done because I think it's going to take a long time. But when this is done, they the one thing that hockey got so right is they've got to come back with all the new rules that are going to help this game. The pitch clock has to be like you've got to hash that all out now. Get it done now. Come back with a game that that you made the rule changes that are going to help the game. Uh, pitch clock. If you're going to ban shifts, all of that stuff needs to be done within this uh, work stoppage period. Who doesn't get it? Speaking of baseball free agency, all of the Rob Ref Snyder propagandists Best. from last year. <laughs> Rob Ref Snyder has officially migrated from the Midwest. The oh, Rob no. Ref Snyder Magic Carpet Ride is officially over for the Twins. Mm. The Red Sox have signed Rob Ref Snyder to a minor league contract. He's going to be a great Pawtucket. He's going to be great in Pawtucket. I love Pawtucket. He'll manage Pawtucket in about three years. <laughs> but do you remember? Like, yeah. This happens all the time. Like You're right. The Twins were the greatest power hitting team in baseball history two years ago. And by the middle of 2021, they were relegated to pumping the tires of a 30-year-old career minor leaguer that had like mm-hmm. a 150 major league batting average because he changed his swing. Look, he, look, guys, he changed the mechanics of his swing. It's crazy. And then he was like hot for three weeks because, I don't know, pitchers were throwing him fastballs or whatever. And uh, he wound up, not to like crap on him, but like I'm more just... I, like, we get fixated on, but, like, look at this guy. We no, Lamont Wade, the young guy that you jettisoned for a middle reliever that you then jettisoned three oh, weeks man. later, like, because you had to hold on to Jake Cave and Rob Refsnyder? I know. Jake Cave, who's still on the team? Um, so the, the, the Rob Refsnyder propagandists, you know who you are, that pump the tires <laughs> on a career minor leaguer, trying to get fans excited. You knew that he was going to let fans down, and you still... You still push the propaganda. But he did change his swing. And he did fill an admirably for Byron Buxton, Phil. I don't know why, why you're so negative about After this. After never yeah. playing center field, you know what a great story yeah, a great that story is? great story that is. Center field. Look at Rob Ruffsteiner. Rob Ruffsteiner. Right? Roaming center field. Many of Roaming the outfield. Now he's in left center. Now he's in right center. Deep, deep. He's over for his last 32. But, but he's got a smile on his face. Form, yeah. <laughs> Coming up next, how holding the bat upside down seems to be working for Robbie Refsnyder. <laughs> and later, we go to the training table with Miguel Sano, where he picks all the fatty foods, but he's hitting for power. Why the Monte Carlo wings are Miguel Sano's favorite pregame meal. Ooh. Hold on a second. I had some over the weekend. They were really good. Those are pretty can't, good. Can't miss them. Those are pretty can't say we're all bad. Can't beat them. Those are pretty legit. I'm not going to rip those. No, not at all. Uh... I'll say who gets it. I'll stick on the NFL theme, though. I'll say George Kittle. San Francisco t- uh, 49ers tight end George Kittle. After Sunday's game against the Vikings, a uh, ton of penalties, mostly holding calls. Kittle took offense to uh, Mike Zimmer's comments about the uh, officiating in that game. Zimmer said, quote, these guys hold all the time, so they're grabbing us around the waist, grabbing our backs. The officials, they don't want to call it every play, but until they start calling it every play, they're not going to stop doing it. So here's what uh, George Kittle had to say after hearing that comment from Mike Zimmer. Hmm. I get away with a lot of holding. I mean, I think if you're running your feet and your hands in inside, just because the guy spins and flails his arm, it's not holding. He's just flopping. I mean, you can watch plenty of pass plays. I finally got a holding call out there in a pass route. I got hugged and tackled, and I think there were like three of those out there that don't get called. It's football. 
you know, refs throw flags, refs don't throw flags. It's just the game. And if you're going to sit on the sideline and complain about holding the whole time, I tell you guys to make better plays. Oh, God, I, I, love actually, that. I actually, I think I agree right. with George Kittle. Yeah, man. I agree right. with him. The, right. the Vikings yeah. aren't five and six because they're getting right. screwed by the officials. Exactly. Well, and the Packers, according to their fans, got screwed. Here, so like, like yeah, that the, goes the, the back pack, and forth. The Packers, who have like the second fewest penalties called in the NFL, like, oh, sorry, the refs weren't calling ten penalties on the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. that's life, man. No, I, I think George Kittle gets. I, I can't stand. And look, yesterday against the Timber in the Timberwolves game, officials were were suspect. I get that. Pacers got teed up a couple times too, but it's just the, the ongoing battle with Minnesota versus officials is is hysterical to me. It, it looks like they're trying to honestly prove the point. The refs hate them more than they even want a championship. It's it's very yeah. frustrating to watch. Do I think Carl Anthony Towns doesn't get enough calls? Yes, he doesn't get enough calls. Do I think he should be flailing on the ground and complaining after every single right. one of them? No, I don't. And he would get more calls if he didn't do that. Do we think the refs are out to get Ole Udo, or do we think he's just out over his skis a little bit as a first-year starting offensive lineman? You know, what, you what's, th- Where does the truth lie? Do you think the cat is also going to learn at some point, Phil, to clean up? To to clean up the act of the one thing that drives me crazy, he flails so much. Like like he starts to drive and then he gets going. And and Jim Pete has addressed this too. Like he starts flailing and his arms and legs are like and and he's all contorted. And it feels like there's a lack of smoothness that makes it tough to call a foul against him because he himself is is initiating. So much contact. He needs to read a book on stoicism or something. Like, just be like, be like Kobe Bryant, still efficient with your movements. Still, yeah. But that's exactly it. He's not still. Like, it's all like arms and legs, and then he flails down, and it's like, I don't even know if that's a foul or not. It looked like it might be, but I. Inflatable used car. Yeah. Tube guy. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. And what's so weird is is his shot from, from like on three point attempts is so smooth. Like, he does some things that are, for a big man, incredibly smooth. But his drives to the basket, it's just like, you're, that's a perfect example. The inflatable, get everything now at my used car lot. <laughs> um, okay, who doesn't get it? Anybody who thinks that college sports are either A, pure, or B, that the athletes, you yes. know, athletes, athletes shouldn't be tr- going into the transfer portal or whatever. Look. It's always been crazy and corrupt, but this is nuts now. Like you've got, you've got last night Brian Kelly going from from Phil's Irish uh, to LSU. Lincoln Riley uh, suddenly just jumps from Oklahoma to Southern Cal. Um, this is craziness, and personally, I don't care. But like, I don't want to hear about Division One sports. We, you know, this is about the kids. Uh, you can't kill these programs. This is a state-run university, and things are pure here. Like, this is the most corrupt. This, this makes pro sports look like a bunch of saints, because at least pro sports are somewhat sanctioned. College sports are out of control now. So, so L- like- LSU two years ago, right, right at the beginning of the pandemic, every athletic department employee making $80,000 a year or more had to take a pay cut, and yeah. then they just, like, flat let a bunch of them go. Yeah, and then they turn around and give they. I think they had to buy out part of Ed Orgeron's contract, and then they give ninety five million dollars over ten years to Brian Kelly. And I get it if Brian Kelly is great for LSU and they win a couple national titles, all the mm-hmm. revenue that it brings in, like I totally get it. But it mm-hmm. just it's such a weird look. Well, it's it's a weird look because of the amount of uh, of deception, though the the attempted deception. If they would co- come out and, and say. We're pretty corrupt, and we, we don't care about kids. Like, let's be clear here. This is a money-making venture, and we will cut anyone off at the knees that we have to. I'd say, bravo. I'll still watch, but that's exactly right. Yeah. But instead, but instead, they're like, oh, today we have to kill the track and field program, and this pains us. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You don't care. And and just come out and say, we're killing sports. Like, like we're going to kill tennis. We hate tennis here at, at you, our school. We'll, we'll leave the courts up. Like you guys yeah. can go. Oh, yeah. go Intermurals are on, baby. Intermurals. You can. You kids want to pay to come here and play. You play, <laughs> but we ain't gonna sanction it. So 
it, it's just, but this is, this is actually, I think, jump the shark that goes beyond pro sports because it's more, there, there's more corruption and like the transfer portal and guys transferring midseason now. Let's just call a spade a spade. All right, I'm going to piggyback again off Joe here. All right? So who gets it? Lincoln Riley for his efficiency in negotiating. <laughs> I love it. All right, so Lincoln Riley and his Oklahoma squad lose a heartbreaker against Oklahoma State late Saturday night. I mean, this game got over at, like, 11 o'clock Central Time on Saturday night. He's, like, looking at his wife. And, Coach, and, why are you looking at your wife? <laughs> and, and there's no way – I'm trying to think of what time he would get home. Like, they flew back. Like, he probably doesn't get home until, like – not that he can't be on his phone, not that he can't get a text from someone at USC, but, like, probably gets home around 1 or 2 in the morning, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe he go. maybe they stay in a hotel. I don't know how it works, but – between, let's say, midnight on Saturday and, like, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning when the news started to break, Lincoln Riley having a, and I'm using air quotes, first conversation with USC. Who's this? For the first time ever, never spoken to these people in my life or my agent, negotiates a $110 million contract with USC buying both of his homes in Norman for $500,000 over asking price and buying a $6 million home in Los Angeles for him and his family and unlimited use of a private jet 24 hours, seven days a week. And a bunch of other perks and bells and whistles and assistant coaches coming over with him from Oklahoma to USC. Um, What an amazing stealth negotiator at 3 o'clock in the morning Lincoln Riley is to get all of that done by the time the sun comes up and to be in contact with your family and, and assistant coach's families. Wow. He got a call. He's like, I wonder who the, where this number from Los Angeles. I, I don't know who this could be. <laughs> it says, hello, it's Lincoln. Oh, hi. Why did Lincoln need two houses in in Norman? That's my question. I mean, what's why the not? second? Why, it's, it's what's the second house? For? What else are you, you going to spend it, your yeah. eight million dollars a year on? Couple what's the cars. second house for? Well, they probably he probably had like a like I don't know. I've never been to Norman, but um, there's probably some sort of like cabin situation, like a weekend home, yeah, on uh, some body of water. So like, you're like a Brainerd, like a Brainerd Lakes yeah. home well, or see. something like that. There's got to okay. be lakes okay. in Oklahoma, right? Let's see, Norman, Oklahoma. I just was like, we'll we'll buy that one, and now let's buy that one. Oh yeah, there's a lake. Eh. Oh, so he's, okay. He's so he's got... on. Oh, okay. So he's got a. So it's a cabin, really. Or yeah, a there's cottage, a Lake Thunderbird State Park. So, okay. You know, okay. And my prep... guess is he probably has like a real home, and then or like yeah, not or anymore, it could be like a home on a lake, and then like a condo of some kind gotcha. near campus or something. And property taxes uh, rank 49th among states in Oklahoma. So. He's gonna get hit. He's gonna get hit by some nasty taxes in California. Good luck with that, Link. Good luck with that. Find out. I'm sure he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be fine when when he tells the school to pay his taxes. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company too for powering who gets it, who doesn't, who gets it. Federated gets it, and they get it on behalf of business owners. They're all about providing risk management tools and resources for your business. And when it comes to this time of year, you know, December is knocking on the door, cold weather, uh, protect yourself and your business from the elements. Just think about all the things that cold weather and or snowy conditions could do to affect your business. Find out more about the resources Federated can provide at federatedinsurance.com. And remember at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. All right. Random season recall. Where Declan goes into the archives of Minnesota sports seasons from the past and quizzes us. Got an old uh, Macadac special for this one. Nice. The 2012 Minnesota Twins. That's what we're going to go with. Random All right. Season I was a, a beat writer covering this team. I think you're going to clean up. This here. is also yeah. like nine years ago. So I think you're going to clean up. A little, up little cleanup hitter. A little, little cleanup. A little Josh Willingham coming off uh, a Silver Slugger Award here. You can hit some <laughs> bombs. I like your odds here. Uh, let's start with the win total. How many wins for these 2012 Twins, Phil and Judd? Dude, these seasons, I gotta say, these seasons ran together aggressively. Okay. So 2000, 2011 was the 99 loss season. Yes. They were better in 2012, but not that much better. I think they lost like 96 games that year. Somewhere, I think it was. 95, 96 games, yeah. They were not very competitive. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. This, this began a long stretch of usually not being competitive. I'd, I'd say 95, 96 defeats is correct. Let's go. Uh, let's go. We're looking for the losses. Looking for the wins. I'm looking for the win total. Okay. So math. So 66. Let's go 66. 66. 66. Final answer. Yeah. 66 wins on the nose. Is it on the nose? On oh. the nose, oh, yeah. baby. Oh, hot start. Here you go. open the game with a home run. Let's oh, get boy. it. LFG. Nice. LFG. Nice, Phil Mack. Uh, five players hit double-digit home runs for that Twins team. Who are they? Well, Willingham had to be one of them, right, Phil? Yeah, Willingham was... Blue. This Blue. was the first year of Willingham getting banged up. Let's go Willingham for sure. Yeah. yeah, Judd, I'm pretty sure this was the year Plouffe hit like 20 in home June. runs in one month. Yeah, <laughs> so June Plouf. into July, he was unbelievably hot, I think. Plouffe? Yep, Plouffe. Plouffe. We're looking for five. All right, this is just a conversation among friends here. Got it. Um, this was a... Joe Maurer was good in 2012. I can't remember if he hit double-digit home runs. Justin Morneau was still on the Twins. Yes. But I think this was like a weird down year for him. So I don't think he hit double-digit home runs. Okay. Ryan Domit, didn't he sign for that? Yeah, Ryan Domit was on the team in 2000. Let's go Ryan Domit. Ryan Domit. Like also on the nose, 18 home runs. Oh, God. Oh, dude, come on. Oh, oh, come on. Bring it. Dude, this is Steph Curry from 40 feet here. Bring it. <laughs> Two more. Um, uh, was, Ar- was Arcia on this team? Was it this year or was it 13? I'm trying to remember. Because some of these years run together. I'm trying to remember, like, yeah. who, who was I interacting with in the clubhouse? And I don't think Arcia was on that. Okay. That's very possible. I mean, he was, he like, wasn't. on the team. but So Dozier would have been up. I think Dozier might have hit 10. When did Dozier have the call up and then it went sour and they didn't bring him back for September? I was 12. Pretty sure that was 12. But he might have still hit 10. All right, let's just. So, 2012. That was the Jamie. That was Willingham, Domit, Jamie Jamie Carroll. Carroll. (laughs) Jamie Carroll, corner locker, baby. Ploof was in the mix in there. Um, Michael Kadir, I th- no, he was gone because Willingham replaced Kadir. Okay. Oh, who so, who was the who was the big kid that um, we always thought was going to be the next Ortiz, and then he turned out not not to be the next Ortiz? Kenny Vargas. Yeah. It feels a little early for Kenny Vargas. Okay. I might be wrong though. So Declan threw me off because he said the Silver Slugger, but like that this this was this was no this was the year that Josh Willingham hit like thirty five home runs. You are correct. This was the big Josh Willingham year. Yep. So this is all piece. Of, this was also the year that Joe Maurer took uh, Araldus Chapman like hundred four miles an hour off the wall in a game at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. This might have been a Joe Maurer ten home run year. I'm going to go Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer. Ten. Exactly Bang. ten. Bang. Exactly ten. Got one more left. Just got you. Let's you go hit five a Mauer home run there, Phil. Let's do Just that. cleared the fence. Classic Mauer. Okay, so you had Mauer catching. You had Domit kind of playing a swing role. Willingham and left. The center fielder would have been. Spam was gone. They traded Hicks for Vance or uh, Revere for Vance Worley. So center field was just a hodgepodge. Mm. This was the year of like uh, Darren Mastriani. We'll get to that. I'm sure we'll get to some of those. My guy. guy. Willingham, Plouffe, Domit, Maurer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The shortstop, the starting shortstop was um, Pedro Florimone to start the season because Plouffe played some third base. Yeah, because he had the throwing disease. I guess it would have. Let's go Brian Dozier. Dozier. Just six home runs for Dozier that year. That That's the year he got called up and then not called back up after being sent down in August. Luke Hughes was on this team. I might. <clears throat> Excuse me. The hammer, Luke Hughes. Who was the DH? Morno. I guess Morno could have hit 10. I'm struggling here. Um, 
All right, Justin Morneau. Justin Morneau. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Those are the five. He uh, yeah, he had, he had 19. That was good. He had 19. 19? Yeah. Okay. Power was coming cool. down, but but still. Some pop. He's got some pop. A little bit of pop okay. there. All right. That's that's pretty impressive. That was. Oh, no, it's very impressive. No, yeah. no, yeah. No, definitely impressive. Okay. Sure. This is a great one here. Scott Diamond was the only pitcher, the only pitcher to make at least 20 starts or more that season. But eight others had at least 10. I just want five of those eight. Okay, so you want, so Scott Diamond's off the board. Correct. He's already off the board. You want, and what do you, you want? want? There are five eight, of the eight to make at least yep. 10 starts. Okay. Eight, yeah. So ten, so so ten eight starts. guys made ten starts. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want five. Okay. So Vance Worley. Mm-hmm. Vance Is that a Worley. final guess? Yeah. Oh my god. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, all right, Judd. Just between us here. So. Yep. This was the off season. I'm pretty sure they went out and got Mike Pelfrey and Jason Marquis. I think their starting rotation was like. And Kevin. Was this Kevin Correa, too? Or was that the next year? <laughs> <laughs> no, because Correa made it, made more than 20 starts in his in his first okay. year. I'll, yeah, I trust you. But I'm trying to think. Jason Marquis might have gotten released. He got released in, like, he did. May, didn't he? And then went he to the Padres. It feels, feels like he didn't make 10 starts. <laughs> okay, yeah, he okay. struggled and got released. P.J. Walters. P.J. Walters, final guess? Yes. Damn right, PJ Walters made starts. Um, what? Sa- Sam Deduno. Final guess. Sam Deduno. Two. Get some momentum going here. Okay. Okay. Who Who is the kid from Eden Prairie? Uh, Cole DeVries. Was Cole DeVries on this team? He probably was. That's a good one, dude. I don't know if he made ten starts, but. Let's go. Well, so we have we have one incorrect guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have one. I'm gonna, Judd. I'm gonna give you some names here. Okay. All right. Kevin Slowey, I think was still hanging around here. Okay. Cole DeVries. I know they signed some pitchers here, but this is before the like the Phil Hughes Nolasco. Right. Right. Yes, that was. I think Nolasco Mike, was I think thirteen. They signed Mike Pelfrey this year. Okay. Mike yeah. Pelfrey. Mike Pelfrey's fine. You're here early. Really? You're a year early. Good God. 12 and 13 blend together? Weird. 13, 14, 11. The, 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 the absolute <laughs> yuck of this pitching staff. It's impressive. Uh, okay, Cole DeVries. Let's go Judd's Cole DeVries. DeVries. That's three. Give me two more. Oh. Let's, let's go Slowey. Kevin Slowey. Oh, oh my God! Oh. Yeah, no Okay, well, can I just throw a few more out here sure. just for fun? Yep. Scott Baker. I think Scott Baker. Was All right. Then, right. All right. I'm gonna dig deep. As Merling Vasquez. He made six. What about he uh, made six? Brian Dunsing. There you go. <laughs> eleven starts, okay. fifty-five games. But yeah, eleven starts. Okay. Pedro Hernandez. This is great. I feel like I feel like that's just a buzz on, on the entire 2012 Twins, which is very fitting. Did Jason Marquis make ten starts? No, he made seven before getting released. <laughs> released. What? Yeah, okay, hold on. Eight four seven. Okay. Yeah, it took like three hours to pitch. Okay, so we've given you Deduno, mm-hmm. Devries, and mm-hmm. Dunsing, mm-hmm. and Walters. And Walters gave PJ Walters, and we need. You're missing uh, two more. You've missed. You don't have the second or the third most starts on this team. I freaking covered this beat. <laughs> so, uh, oh, oh, oh. Pavano, Carl Pavano. Pavano made eleven, but not second or third on this team. Wow. You're over. You're overthinking. Liriano? No, that wasn't this year. Liriano? 17 starts, 22 games, and then one more. I can't believe they tried this guy. He made 19 starts. Was this the year that Francisco got traded to the White Sox? 
Must have been. He did, I think. Uh, at the deadline? Yeah, at the deadline. And then okay. this guy made 19 starts and had an ERA of 7.3. Oh. Liam, Hen- Liam Hendricks. No, but Liam Hendricks. Uh, d- d- actually, dang you. Liam Hendricks did make 16 starts that year, but that is not who I'm referencing. <laughs> I just. Uh, boy. This is um, a bloodbath. I'm, I want this. I'm sorry. I know I'm dragging the show on here, but I want this. I want this. Who would have made more starts? Who would have made these starts? Did Duno? Oh, my God. A seven ERA. This is going to crush me. 19 starts. 98 innings. So bad. God, their pitching was so bad. Strikeout per nine of 3.8. <laughs> what? Oh, Nick Nick Black. There you go. Oh man, what's that three? The magic number right there. That was that was the. Oh yeah, Nick Blackburn. Never got any damn strikeouts. Such a good guy too. Such a good guy. Great guy. One of the the nicest. Great human being. Oh my god. Morgan, two of the nicest guys I've ever met. Oh, that was terrible. Oh my god. I have other questions, but we'll. we'll, I think that's it. I think the bloodbath there ends. All right, we're good. Okay. Just the starting pitching of of the 2012 Twins. Just just had us bleed out on Mackie and Judd and random season I, recall. Just for fun, can I give you some center fielders here? Uh, you have a list of like... Yeah. This was the Eric Komatsu year too, wasn't it? Yes, a Komatsu was here. <laughs> Darren Mastriani. Yep, Mastriani was there. They might have called Aaron Hicks up. Maybe that was the next year. Uh, yes, Aaron Hicks. Let's see here. I'm on pitchers. Also, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who didn't blink, Cleet Thomas. Cleet Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, Cleet Thomas yes. was here. Okay. Tomatsu was here. How about this one? I don't know if he played center because it just designates his outfielder. But Matt Carson. Yeah, Matt Carson. Matt Carson. That guy. Actually, D Span was here. The Dart Span was there still. Joe Benson, I mm-hmm. think, played a little bit. Matt Carson. Here. Yeah, I don't remember Matt Carson at all. Uh, if I remember right, I feel like Matt Carson may have not worn batting gloves. Okay, but I don't remember Matt guy. Carson at all. Cleet uh, Thomas, I remember well. The Twins, yeah, this Twins team did down. lead the American League in stolen bases that year. Good for yeah, well, Mastriani stole a bunch. Ben Revere. Ben Revere was on this yeah, team. He stole 40. They, they eventually traded him for, um, well, was this the year they, they, that was Span still on this team? Yeah. I think Span might have stolen so they, they So yes. that winter they traded Span for and Alex Revere. Meyer and, and Revere for Vance Worley. Vance mm-hmm. and... Somebody else, right? Yeah. Ben Revere had yeah, Trevor, uh, Trevor May. 150 Trevor hits, and yep. 133 of them were singles. <laughs> yeah. And, and they put him in right field. And with possibly no the weakest arm right fielder in the history of baseball. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. You wouldn't want wouldn't to upset Spansy with his vertigo. No, 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 no. Anyhow, that was Great random game. season recall Woo! there. That was Bloodbath. a oh, year that boy. I would like to forget professionally oh, oh, oh. for many different reasons. <laughs> there it is. All right, good stuff here. Mackie and Judd, Daily Minnesota Sports Entertainment. Write that down, predictions, on tomorrow's show. See you guys. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited-time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.